We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. All right. Well, tonight we're going to be in Ezra 9. We are looking at that second cycle. We, we kind of talked about the, the overall structure of Ezra and Nehemiah as these, these three kind of re, uh, return, rebuild, restore. And you see one group come in the first six chapters. Now we're looking at this, this second return with Ezra and his people. And then we'll continue on with Nehemiah and looking at that last set of, uh, that last kind of cycle um, in the next, actually several months as we walk through Nehemiah. Um, but just a kind of a reminder of, of Ezra 7. 7 is where Artaxerxes gave the pronouncement for people to uh, be able to go home. Then in Ezra 8, we looked at Ezra and his collection of the people, collection of the goods, collection of the utensils and the gold and silver to go back. We looked at their, uh, we, we talked about the peas, right? The, the people, the royalty, the high priest, the people that went back, kind of looked at that list of who all went back. Then we talked about the missing piece and how initially Ezra didn't have the Levites with him to help with instructing the law, to teaching the law, to help leading the people. So he had to get some Levites. We looked at the prayer that um, Ezra prayed for the journey and the preparation. Now they spread out the goods, the gold and the wealth to the people, and then they travel. And then it ended with the presentation, they've made it to Jerusalem. And it's kind of this high point in Ezra where God has protected them. God has led them through the wilderness back to Jerusalem. They arrive safely without any help of the king, without any help of the army, only under the protection of God. And then they present the goods in the temple. And so chapter eight ended on a really nice high. We've, we've ascended to the mountain. Everyone's praising God. They've seen what he's done. And then you have chapter nine. Right? So you have this heartbreaking story that we're going to look at that even though they've had this, this great experience, this great high, it all kind of ends. It's uh, kind of like being a Cowboys fan every season where you start out <laughs> with a lot of hope, right? And then halfway through, it's just, bam, you're done. Uh, or UNT or Rangers, like all of our local teams pretty much do this to me. So we're going to look at, at this, this kind of fall off the mountain where Things don't go like Ezra planned. And because I'm unoriginal, we're going to use peas again. Uh, just continue that this week also uh, as we look at Ezra 9 and the issues that the return people face. So um, Ezra 9 verse 1, we see our first P. We have the problem. What's the issue? Where have things gone wrong? What did Jerry Jones do? No, I'm kidding. Um, where did the people go wrong? So Ezra 9, verse 1. Now, when these things had been completed, the princes approached me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands according to their abominations. Those are the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, Ammonites, the Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. Because you have this long list of people. There's been intermarriages. There's been a mixing of the holy people of God with people, what does it say? According to their abominations, okay? So we have this high, this presentation of the utensils, the gold and the silver to the temple. And then um, Ezra goes to the governors and gives the instructions from the king. And then as soon as he gets back, he's faced with this issue. 
immediately there's a problem. How many times is that like us in our Christian life? You know, things are going really well, and then all of a sudden, bam, we're hit with temptation, we sin, we get off track, and almost immediately Ezra's restoration efforts come to an issue, a problem. Um, and notice here, it's the princes that approach him. The leaders have recognized. And I, I kind of wonder if maybe because they, Ezra's been preaching the law, if this is what brought it to their attention. Like, hey, we're doing something wrong. Hey, we have failed. We need to address something. And these are the guys that have been in the land. They've seen God be faithful. They've seen the temple rebuilt, but still they have diverted from the worship of the true God. They have failed in this one area where they are mixing with other people. Syncretism has occurred. Okay, so uh, if you know church history or if you've studied mission, syncretism is a big word, and that's where you're mixing local cultures with the true worship of God, where you're mixing false views of God or false ideas in with what is the true way to worship God. And this happens all the time. Okay, this happens all the time in church history, happens all the time in missions, um, where you have this false sense of true religion, but you've kind of made it up on your own. You've kind of pulled from here and there, and that's what we have, a mixing of the people of God and a mixing of the worship of God. <clears throat> um, and you'll see that the real issue isn't necessarily, he'll talk about uh, the intermarriage here in a second, it, that's kind of the issue, but the real issue is the mixing of the worship of God, the mixing of the people. Right? This isn't necessarily, you know, you can't marry someone from a different race. He's not saying that at all. But instead, what they've done is they've adopted the gods and the worship practices of the people they're marrying into. Um, <clears throat> so abominations of false worship, these people the lands, the peoples of the lands, according to abominations. That's verse one, okay? Uh, the list of people, you see this list in several places. This is kind of the stock list of the false worshipers around Israel. You see it in Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 7, and Deuteronomy 26 through 18. I'm gonna read it real quick so you can see that there's some definite connections here between the giving of the law in Deuteronomy here and in this issue. So Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18, only in the cities of these peoples that are the Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes, but you'll utterly destroy them. Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites. So a lot of the same people we just mentioned here in Ezra. As the Lord your God commanding you, why? Verse 18 of Deuteronomy 20, so that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things, which they have done for their gods, so that you would sin against the Lord your God. So that's the issue. That they have let these people come in and teach them false views of worship. They are mixing worship of false gods with the true God. All right? And we see that in our culture too, right? Where we mix this you know, idea of, you know, all different types of things, transgenderism getting into the church or um, gay marriage getting into the church or um, capitalism, like where you worship wealth and money getting into the church. I mean, there's so many ways that you see this happen 
And God warned them all the way back in Deuteronomy 20, if you mix with these people, they will teach you to do according to their detestable things. Verse 18 of Deuteronomy 20. And the detestable things is the same root Hebrew word as abominations. So Ezra has in mind this idea. You guys have mixed and moved away from the worship of the true God. We need to fix that. This is an issue. This is a problem. Uh, verse 2 of Ezra 9. <clears throat> uh, the princes are still talking to Ezra, still kind of laying out the issues. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has intermingled with the people of the lands. Indeed, the hands of the princes and rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. Now that is a problem. It's not just the people, the leaders are doing it too. And not only are the leaders doing it, they are foremost in this unfaithfulness. Do we need good leadership? If you don't have good leadership, this is what happens, right? The princes, the rulers, and we'll see later on in chapter 10, some of the priests are the offenders that are no longer following God. Okay. Luckily, we're in America where all of our leaders are godly men. <clears throat> um, but this happens, right? And we have to be careful. We can't allow this to happen. Um, and the princes, to their credit, are admitting this. We're some of the problem. We are part of the issue. What do we need to do about it? So that's the problem. We have this intermixing this moving away of the worship of the true God, this syncretism, we have a problem. And then we see a response. This isn't one of the P's, but the, the, the second half of the problem is the response of Ezra. When I heard about this matter being Ezra, I tore my garment and my robe and pulled some of the hair from my head and my beard and I sat down appalled. He just had this high God protected them through the wilderness. They presented the goods to the temple. Everything was going so well. And now sin has been exposed. Now there's an issue. Now there's a problem. We were on the right track. Now there's an issue. Uh, verse four, then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me and I said appalled until the evening offering. So what's the response to the problem? Complete dejection, distraught, tearing his garments, tearing his robes. That's the traditional, if you see the Old Testament, that's the traditional response to um, these kind of issues whenever the, the nations have sinned. He did that. He pulled hair from his head. I couldn't do that obviously because there's nothing up there. Uh, but everything he can do to show how distraught emotionally he is by the people. Um, and notice his response isn't, man, you guys are terrible, right? Which he could have, he just got on the scene, right? It's, he's not part of the problem, but he realizes that if one of the family is hurting, we're all hurting. This affects him as well. And so he could easily have you know, responded in pride or arrogance or something like that. But instead, he knows this is hurting all of us. This is hurting the reputation of God. 
that his people have moved away from him, have rejected him, have started to syncretize with the surrounding culture. And he just is distraught. This is the same reaction that we see with Josiah in 2 Kings 22. When they rediscovered the book of the law, they read it in Josiah's presence and the king does the same thing. He tears his garments in just dejection. We have rejected God. We need to get back to his word. We need to get back to the commandments of God. Um, We also see a response of the people here. I love this. Then everyone, so not just Ezra, but everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel on account gathered to him. So there are people that are, see the same issue as him and join him and notice where the conviction comes from. They trembled at the words of God. So the word of God, is it powerful? Can it bring conviction? All right. And the people seeing this problem, seeing this need to repent because of knowing scripture, which was Ezra's purpose of going there, right? Is to teach them the law, teach them the books. Um, Come and join Ezra and sit down with him in dejection, waiting on the next step. Um, All of them are in mourning. For all of us, even Ezra have sinned, right? All of us are part of the problem, even if he's not a part of this issue with the intermingling, okay? So that's the problem. That sets up our our issue. Um, Now we're going to look at this long prayer of Ezra. So yet again, I I love this. This is two chapters in a row where Ezra jumps into prayer first, which is a good practice for all of us. And so we're going to look at his prayer starting with the posture of prayer. Okay, the posture of prayer. How do you approach God? And yet again, he could approach God by saying, hey, these stupid people right, have messed up, you need to, you know, destroy them or something. But that's not how he approaches God because he knows all of us have been hurt by this. All of us have hurt the testimony of God. So uh, verse five of Ezra nine, but at the evening offering, I arose from my humiliation, even with my garment and my robe torn, and I fell on my knees and outstretched and stretched out my hands to the Lord my God and said, Oh God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Did Ezra screw up? He didn't do anything wrong so far. But as the leader, as a member of that community, he approaches God humbly, realizing that all of us have messed up in the past and all of us are dependent on the mercy of God. And so notice his humiliation, right? He still has his garments torn. He falls to his knees. He is going to show in, the, in his words, in his actions, his utter dependence on God. And that's how we should approach as well, right? That's how we should react when we're praying to God. Uh, stretching out his hands. I mean, this is something that goes through all of the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see it in a couple places. Solomon stretches out his hands to God in 1 Kings 8 when they're dedicating the temple, all right? And he is 
inviting God to come into the temple. You see it in Psalm 143, which is David's prayer to God for deliverance and protection, where he says, I stretch out my hands to you. So it's this symbol of humble approach, this symbol of the need of God and not anything we've done, but that God will do. So that's how you start. And then notice the, uh, also the ashamed and embarrassed lift my face to you. He, he can't even look at God. <clears throat> and when I read this, this the story of, of the tax collector and the Pharisee comes to mind. You remember that story where the Pharisee comes to pray before God and he stands up uh, talking about how great he is compared to everyone else and this tax collector. And Ezra could have done that, right? Like he was blameless at that point, but instead Christ points to the tax collector. But the tax collector standing some distance away, this is Luke 18, 13 through 14, was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven. Did you notice that parallel? Ezra said, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you, the tax collector. I'm embarrassed to look at you. It was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. So if you want a short way to summarize the rest of this prayer, this is Ezra's approach. I am nothing before you, God. Give me mercy. Give the people mercy for what they have done. And then, of course, uh, Jesus ends the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, verse 14. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the others, the tax collector that did it correctly. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here's Ezra acting that out years before, centuries before the parable in Luke 18. But he knows the right approach. And, And notice what he says about their sin. Their sins, their iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown to the heavens. Do they have any foot to stand on in front of God at this point? They're completely dependent on his mercy. They have rejected his commandments. They have mixed uh, with the people. They have adopted the religious practices of their neighbors and the culture. They are in complete need of God's mercy and forgiveness. Um, Ezra 9, verse 7, since the days of our fathers, this is Ezra speaking again, since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And on account of our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given to the hand of the king of the land, to the sword, to captivity and to plunder and to open shame as it is today. All right, not only is it a problem now, but it's always been a problem for them, right? And Ezra recognizes this. If you think about the history of Israel, it's this constant sinning, repentance, sinning, repentance, sinning, repentance. But God's always merciful. God's always forgiving, all right? And that's true of us too. So if if you are someone today that is struggling, God is merciful. Come talk to me and Mike. We'll, We'll walk you through that. But if you look at the history of Israel, you realize how merciful and great our God is. And notice his comparison. You know, the sin that led them into captivity is as equal or less to the sin that they are doing that day. 
So the reason they're back is not anything they've done. It's totally the mercy of God. Our history as Israelites, as Ezra is saying, is this series of failure, failure, but God brings us back, okay? All right, so the problem, problem is that intermixing, they've adopted the culture around them, the, the cultural practices the, by intermarrying into the people, um, Number two, you got the, the posture of prayer that Ezra launches into this prayer with a very humble approach like the tax collector in Luke 18. Um, and he's holding on to the promise. So that's the next P. What is the promise? The promise is he knows who God is and he knows God is merciful. Um, verse eight, but now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an, un, an escaped remnant and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. Uh, verse nine, for we were slaves that in our bondage, our God has not forsaken us, but has extended loving kindness to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us reviving, to raise up the house, to restore its ruins and give us a wall in Judah. Okay, so... He's holding on to the promise. God promised to bring them back, right? And he's holding on to the promise because he knows God is faithful. God is merciful. He's full of loving kindness. He's full of grace. Yet again, it's nothing Ezra does. It's nothing the people do. They need to repent. They need to, uh, and we'll address that in, in 10. But his hope isn't in their actions. It's in the mercy and grace of God. And, and I love how verse eight starts, but now, all right? So you got that, you know, like, but God, that transition after he lays out all of their sins and iniquities, he switches to the character of God. But now grace has been shown from the Lord, our God. This beautiful transition from our nature, our sin, our problems to who God is. God is the one that brought him back. Uh, he left a remnant uh, of people to participate in his plan, right? He says in verse eight, to give us uh, a paganist holy place to be a part of that restoration of the kingdom, a restoration of the nation in Jerusalem, a restoration of the temple, the worship. Um, so God protects them and he chooses to use them despite what they have done. Um, and then notice the request here that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us reviving in our bondage, verse eight. So what is it the people need? It's more of God. What do the people need? To read, be in his word, to follow God properly, to be enlightened by God, um, to be revived from the bondage of sin, the bondage of their political situation. It's not, you know, six steps to success. It's, well, God is the answer in this situation. Um, and then verse nine, he, he recalls the promises of God, their slavery in Babylon, their position. They are still, they're still in bondage just in Jerusalem, right? They're still uh, subjugated by Babylon. But Ezra has faith that God will let them raise up the temple, restore its ruins. And notice what he says, give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Wait a second. Who builds the wall? When does that happen? 
that's later, right? That's Nehemiah. You don't know that story from Bible school, yeah? Um, what is Ezra saying here? I, I, I think he's saying he has faith that the wall will be restored, but who ultimately is their protection? Who ultimately is their wall? It's God, right? That even though there's no physical wall around Jerusalem, God has brought them back. He has protected them. He is setting them up. And so it's him that we need to turn to for safety and security. Um, So I had uh, Jared read Psalm 103 because Ezra's thinking about the Psalms. He's thinking about uh, the character of God as he's writing this. Because Psalm 103 covers, you know, that, that Christ is loving kindness. He's full of compassion. Uh, verse 8 of 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness. All of these words are echoed in Ezra's prayer. Um, 103 verse 11, for high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. So Ezra's echoing this psalm uh, and this idea of the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, who abounds in loving kindness, who compassionate, their only hope is God. It's not anything that they can do, but it's God's forgiveness, okay? Okay, so we've seen the problem. We've seen the posture. We've seen the promise. Um, the prohibition. So what is it that they actually did wrong? What command of God, what prohibition did they not pay attention to? So Ezra reminds them in the prayer as he's praying to God. So um, Ezra 9, 10, now our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments. We have ignored what you told us not to do. We have forgotten what you prohibited us to do. Um, Verse 11, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets saying, the land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the peoples of the land with their abominations. There's that word again, their detestable acts. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy. It's mentioned earlier in Ezra, which have filled it from end to end with their impurity. So now do not give your daughters to your sons nor take their daughters to your sons. Never seek the peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good things in the land and leave it as an inheritance to your sons forever. All right, well, what's, what's going on here? Well, Ezra's just not even necessarily quoting law, but he's giving a summary of the law to remind himself, the people, where they went wrong, all right? None of these are necessarily direct quotes of Deuteronomy. Instead, he's pulling all over from the idea of what God has expressed in the Old Testament. They are to be holy as God is to be holy. They are not to mix with non, you know, not, not people of the book, right? They're not to be mixing the worship of God with the gods of others. They're not to be mixing with the culture and the people around them, but they are to be holy as God is holy. And so it's, it's a summary of this entire idea of what it means to be a follower of God, all right? You can't pick and choose. You can't intermix different ideas and concepts. Um, You must follow God. And it's seen in the marriages here, but the idea is much more expansive than just the intermarriages that we see in Ezra 9. Um, 
so this is what God has given him from the beginning. I mean, if you think about it, even Abraham wanted his son to marry somebody from his family back. So he sends the servant back to find Rebecca and bring her back, right? So this idea is even before the law that this is a select chosen people for a select chosen purpose. And you can't mix with culture, the people around you. You can't mix with those things. You are holy as God is holy. Um, And the people have ignored that, right? If you think about Israel's history, how many times did they mess this up? Solomon and his numerous wives, how did that end for him? Not great. The kingdom split, right? You have this problem and this issue. Um, An illustration of this, as I was kind of editing my notes, I was listening to the other room because my kiddo has this new thing where he can reach the off button for the TV, all right? And he loves watching cartoons. And so we've, we've given him a commandment, kind of. Hey, leave the TV on if you want to watch the TV show. Seems pretty simple. But guess what he does? He goes and turns it off because he can reach it, right? And so he'll go up and we'll say, hey, Grant, remember, you want to keep the TV on. Don't push the button. Well, and he goes up and he pushes the button despite what we just told him. And then, of course, he cries because guess what? The TV's off. The show he wanted to watch is off, right? And so that's kind of the, that's how I feel like God does with us sometimes. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Okay, you touched it, you know. And and that's what we see here. God's warned them. God's given them direction and they ignore it over and over and over again. And it breaks, God's heart breaks Ezra's heart. We have failed as a people. We need to obey. We need to listen. So Ezra's going to end with a plea. After he gets to the end of the, the prayer, like what, what can he really do? Can he negotiate? Can he try to get an easier sentence? No, their plea is guilty, right? There's no way they can try to justify what they've done. We're guilty. And then you throw yourself at the mercy of the court. Now, remember, we've seen God is merciful, God is compassionate. So Ezra is, knows that that's the right choice. And so here's, here's how he ends the prayer. Um, After all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and our great guilt, since you are God have requited us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us an escape remnant as this. Verse 14 Ezra 9, shall we again break your commandments and intermarry with the people who commit these abominations? Yet again, these mixing of religions. Would you not be angry with us to the point of destruction until there's no remnant or anyone who escapes? O Lord, you are righteous. We have been left an escape remnant. Behold, we are before you in our guilt. For no one can stand before you because of this. What's the plea bargain here? We're guilty. That's it. He falls at the mercy of God. We have messed up. We have ignored your commandments. We have sinned. We have, um, and, and notice even in this plea, he points out that you have punished us less than we deserve already. God has already shown himself to be merciful in the history of Israel. God has already shown himself to be merciful to these direct people that he brought back to the land. 
But then Ezra says, we are guilty. We have nothing we can say. We are before you in our guilt. For no one can stand before you because of this. So we had that super high a week ago, right? Where we're before the temple, we're showing the world what God has done for them. And then immediately we're back to this. God, we need you. We cannot stand before you. Now, the beautiful thing is we're on the other side of Christ. Can we stand before God now? Not because of us, but because of Christ. We have an intermediary, right? We have a high priest. We have someone who sacrificed his life. And so, yes, we are guilty. We deserve nothing. We can't stand before God, but Christ. So this is beautiful kind of looking forward to Christ and his sacrifice. So a conclusion, all right? Next week, we'll come back and we'll look at uh, chapter 10 to conclude the story. How are the people going to respond? How's the story gonna end? Right now, I'm pretty depressed, right? That the people have done this. Um, What's gonna happen, right? And so we'll look at that. Um, But just to kind of, highlight the main points and then talk about some some points of application. Conclusion. So the problem, the Israelites have compromised their faith. Is there something in your life? Is there something in my life that I have compromised? Is there something where I have put maybe God not first in my life in some areas? What is some areas where I need to repent and fall at, you know, fall on my hands and knees and stretch out my hands to God and ask for mercy. Okay. What in, in my life? Um, what do you need to remove to better follow God? Uh, uh, for me, I, I realized today I am a month and a half behind on my Bible reading. Uh, for some of us, that may be our jobs. It may be other idols we have in our lives. Where have we compromised? Where have we put God second? Posture. How do we approach God? Is our life marked by humility? When people see you, do they see a humble person? Do they see the tax collector or the Pharisee? When you pray, you approach as the tax collector or the Pharisee. What is our posture before God? Um, Promise, are we keeping to God's promises? This is the beautiful thing. The, The Bible is filled with the promises of God. And it's all about him, right? So it doesn't matter how bad we've been, we fall at the mercy of God. So what promises do you need to to hold on to? Um, What promises do you need to think about? And what, you know, that reminder that God is merciful. So whether you're a Christian that's struggling or someone who doesn't know Christ, God is merciful. Come talk to us. We'd love to tell you more about that. Um, Prohibition, what commandments do we need to listen to? What areas of the Bible do we need to read so that we know what God has told us to do and not to do, right? Um, To be shaped by the word. Uh, I love how Ezra's prayer is full of scripture and full of the history of the people. Like when he prays, it's out of scripture. Is our life that way? When I pray, do people hear scripture? When I talk, do people hear scripture? Are we in the word so that it just flows out like it does in Ezra's life? And then finally, that plea, we're guilty. Our only hope is God. There is no bargaining. There is no plea deal, right? You are guilty. But there's God, right? 
So let me pray for us. And then next week, we'll come back. We'll look at chapter 10, and then we'll move on into Nehemiah and see that, that third return, that third cycle of people coming back to the land. Uh, so Lord, just thank you for tonight. Um, many times our lives are like this in Ezra where we have a high and then a low, but we know that you are faithful, both the good times and the bad, that you are merciful, that you're willing to forgive if we repent and return to you. And Lord, I just thank you for everyone here tonight that um, their faithfulness to you, faithfulness to wanting to hear your word and to learn about you, to learn about your commandments. Uh, and Lord, I pray that we're applying them to our hearts and we're thinking about how we can help others move towards you and see their dependence and need for you. And Lord, just thank you again for tonight, in your name, amen.